Hello, and welcome to a conversation of a priest and a rabbi. Today, Rabbi Adler and Father Swan are talking about the more difficult parts of the Bible and how they relate to our lives today and why they were even put there in the first place. It's an interesting conversation, and I think you'll enjoy it. Please subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you're using. Questions and comments are always welcome, and we look forward to hearing from you. Let's go to the show now. Hello and welcome to another conversation between a priest, that would be me, Craig Swan, the rector of St. Peter's by the Sea in Narragansett, and a rabbi. And that would be me, Ethan Adler, from Congregation Beth David and Congregation in Westerly, Rhode Island. And we've run out of H words, so what we're gonna we have. So we're gonna move on to something a little bit more challenging. And I picked the topic this week, and the topic is a result of a Bible study we had in regards to Genesis. And it looks at the fact or the conversation that we've been struggling with is that as you read through Genesis, what we begin to discover is that the Bible gives us the good, the bad, and the ugly of everything going on in its time. And themes that came up that become concerning are themes of racism in terms of Canaanites coming off of the curse of Cain. We also see um, issues around the treatment of women. If I turn it over, I was thinking about that, and I said I turn it over to um, the New Testament, and especially John. It's often the weekend that the congregation comes over to see us that Mm -hmm. we read um, the Passion of Christ because it's on the Feast of Christ the King. And the Johannine readings are subliminally anti-Semitic. And if you read through the Gospels, if you're not teaching it properly, it's very easy to go, Jesus, good. Pharisees, scribes, bad. Mm -hmm. And I realize that that has set up deep in our psyche a sense of what is good and what is bad. And in today's world, um, especially in the last couple of years, there's been all this talk about cancel culture. And it seems like we have a problem dealing with the fullness of our leaders. And so I, so the conversation that I've been itching to have is how do we as religious leaders deal with these issues that to me are so much interwoven into our stories and are now trying to deal, deal with them. And the other thing that I realize is Half the reason we can't come to a solution on these is because they are so much a part of the human condition. And it's one of the things that I realize that the Old Testament and the Bible shows us. It shows us the fullness of the human condition and doesn't whitewash it at all. That's right. I think if we look, if we look at the Bible um, and some of the stories and some of the narratives— I think that what it teaches us, um, among other things, is um, what not to do. It teaches us what happens when uh, people do not follow the guidelines of what the Bible says, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, um, however we categorize it. Um, 
the Word of God is seen as, as a guide for all of us. And we see through the narratives and the stories that uh, bad things happen um, when good people don't allow the Bible and its laws to guide them to a, a, a path of spiritual and meaningful living. So um, you, you'll see things happening where um, there's, there's murders, there's, there's all kinds of bad things going on, um, and that's because people aren't following. So I think if we look at the Bible and we say, gee, we look at all these heroes and characters who don't, who don't really exemplify um, what we would think is good behavior or good living. Um, and yet they're teaching us in their bad ways, so to speak, their inappropriate living lifestyles. They're teaching us, see, see what happens. See what happens if you don't follow the laws because they're, they're, they're there to, to, uh, give us a life, to give us a life of meaning. Um, and without, without these laws, we have nothing. One of the interesting things about the Jewish calendar, for example, is we're, we're about to celebrate holiday Passover. Passover celebrate, if there's one word we could ascribe to Passover, it's freedom. Freedom. I mean, l- literally, we're talking about freedom from people who are enslaved and are, and are free to go on their own. Um, we also talk about other freedoms at this time, but specifically about this story, the Exodus is a story of, of a people who have been oppressed for 400 years, let's say, and now they're finally free, and they go on their way. 50 days from now, or 50 days after Passover, we have a holiday called the, we call it the Feast of Weeks, something's called the Pentecost, but it celebrates the time when the Ten Commandments were given. And the rabbis point out that you can't have one without the other. You can't have Passover, you can't have freedom without laws can't have laws without freedom as, as well. So um, the Bible, I think, teaches us that, that if you don't follow laws, you really don't have any freedom. And, um, you know, be, and, and we, see that, we see that today. We see that today. You know, my, my grandmother, may she rest in peace, used to say, you know, it's, if everybody could observe just one commandment, just one day, Everybody observe, thou shalt not kill, don't steal, you know, whatever, just honor your parents. Everybody follow the commandment just one day, there, there would be world peace would come. You know, maybe she's right, but I don't know, we haven't seen that yet. I don't know if we could never will. Not as long as the human condition remains the way it is. I was watching a um, video last night of our presiding bishop and one of the things he mentioned is that just before he went off to college, his father looked at him and said to him, Michael, I want you to always remember this. Treat every young lady as you would want your sister treated. Mm. And every young man as you'd want your brother or yourself treated. And, of course, the bishop's response was, he just ruined my whole college <laughs> education. But it was that reminder that the basic law of scripture is simply love. Mm-hmm. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. 
what I'm finding as I look at the issues that we see in the Bible, because I know a lot of people believe, well, if it was done in the Bible, therefore it's okay. And I realize that's not what the Bible is saying. As I read it, what it's doing, it's showing, again, the fullness, but it's not ignoring the imperfections of this world and continues to show that through humanity, creation is now imperfect and not leading the perfect life. Had the writers of Holy Scripture eliminated all the stuff that we see as bad, or if we were to rewrite the gospel according to John to make it more palatable to today's taste, I think we remove the opportunity for teaching. Hmm. And what I look at that, it also puts a big onus on us as preachers, I believe, because when I now preach John and I talk about the Pharisees, I pull from what used to be Paul Harvey and the story, the Mm -hmm. ongoing part of the story, and I realize I have to talk about the culture and the time and the pressure that those men were under to keep the peace in Jerusalem Mm -hmm. so the temple could continue. Without that knowledge, those men look very unsympathetic. But I also use as an opportunity that they, they're metaphors more so than they are people. And it's very important for them to be that metaphor because we need to look at them and say, that's what happens to each and every one of us when our religion becomes our God and not God itself. Mm-hmm. And it's a call to us to remind ourselves that as perfect as we may think we are, we're really screwing up all along the way and be mindful of that. Without that story and without preaching it from there, it does then, I think, begin to let go and give people permission for bad behavior. And so to have canceled it would leave us blind as to how we deal with it. Yeah, if you look at the creation story, for example... um, and whether we take the creation story literally or um, symbolically, I mean, we know that different religions at that time, different cultures had their own stories of religion. Uh, sorry, their own, their own stories of creation. And a lot of stories of creation um, of those times, the, the Akkadian, Assyrian stories, um, were all very violent, if you read some of them. You know, two gods fighting each other and one guy, one God cutting the other God in half and one half becomes the heaven, one becomes earth and so on. Very, very violent, uh, very aggressive. And you look at the story in the Bible, it's it's very calm. It's very calm. There's no war, there's no aggression. Um, everything is orderly. Things happen in um, um, in the right, right order, as I said before. Um, you know, the sea is created before fish, so they have a place to f- swim and so on. But what's interesting is right right from the beginning, it says God created heaven and the earth, and uh, he, God created light, and he, he called the night, night the darkness night, and he called the day uh, the light day and so on. But 
just about every day after you finished, it says, and God saw that it was good. It doesn't say God saw that it was perfect. It just said God saw that it was good. And I think the message to me and to other people, I imagine, is that this this was a lesson to us that that um, life is not going to be perfect. And sometimes we say perfection is the enemy of good. So I think the Bible teaches us, it says, look, here is, here is a path that you can follow that um, will enrich your life, will give your life meaning, it will, it will provide for uh, a care for the stranger, for the orphan, um, for the ill, for the elderly, you know. Um, you can create a nice, beautiful society. But I think through its stories, it's also saying, don't do this because you'll see what happens. Don't do that because you'll see what happens. Sadly, um, if the Bible is 3,500 years old or whatever, over these 35 centuries, we haven't learned. And to me, that's a, that's a stat, sad statement. Because even today, when all the science in the world tells us how we can, what we can do to try to prevent the spread of COVID, wear a mask, socially distance, you know, wash your hands, get vaccinated. And it's as, it's as if the, the CDC Bible is saying, this is what you should do. But then you're going to hear stories of people who reject it, say, I'm not going to wear a mask, I'm not going to socially distance, I'm not going to get vaccinated, I don't believe any of this. So let's, let's go back 500 years from now and, and hear and, and, and imagine children reading our history. And they say, oh, how come so many people died? How come so many people were sick? Didn't they have these rules and laws? You know, what's going on? I think we look at the Bible the same way, you know? Why, why were there so many wars? Why were there so many illnesses? Why, why was there so much hatred? Didn't they learn from the Ten Commandments? I guess not. I guess not. And that plays into one of my thoughts is that old adage, know your history. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't know your history, mm-hmm. you will repeat it. And I think that's the piece that we continually don't learn from mm-hmm. is our history. The Bible shows us that nobody but God has led a perfect life. And it teaches us something about forgiveness as well. Because if God is able to forgive and raise up these imperfect people and to build a dream through them, whether it be Abraham or Isaac or Jacob and their children or even uh, Moses for that matter, who has his little issue in there as well, it means that we both that God sees the fullness of us and truly loves the whole of us. Mm-hmm. And I know we continue to teach the number the first step of a Christian walk is a admitting that we need God in our lives and that we can't find salvation without God. And the hope is is that when one experiences the sense of being awash in that love and forgiveness 
that one will turn around and automatically want to extend that outward. And what I see um, in today's world is that we haven't learned that piece from our stories. We tend to struggle when we discover that our heroes were not all good. And now all of a sudden, they're no good at all. And I've been fascinated with how major historical centers have begun dealing with the darker side of our American heroes. Mm -hmm. They haven't canceled out the good that these people did for the movement of the ideals of this country. But they've brought forth on an equal plane the history that goes alongside it. In case of George Washington and Mount Vernon, yes, they have all the exhibits of Mount Washington or about Washington and all um, the wonderful things that he did and all those exhibits. But they've also brought on an equal footing the issues around the fact that he had slaves. It didn't cancel out what he did. Right. But they raised up to show the horror of it. I think the African American Museum today does the same. It now, among those great museums, brings forth to us a part of our history that we would like to sweep under the rug. But unless we're willing to see it, acknowledge it, and let it be part of the story woven together, we can't grow from it. We can't change. Right, right. You know, um, sometimes I think about friendships. What makes what what constitutes a friendship? And I think what it is is that we all have needs of all kinds. And different people in our lives fulfill those needs. You know, um, we need a golf partner, so we have this person that we play golf with. Um, I enjoy going out to restaurants, so I have this person I go out to eat restaurant with. I have someone that I like to talk about serious stuff, philosophical stuff, you know, existential philosophy, and that this person does that. So no, in my life at least, and I'm sure for most people, no one person fulfills all of those needs, right? So if I were to make a list of all all the needs that I have, emotional, psychological, spiritual, whatever, physical, I have all these people that kind of fulfill those needs. Every one of them is important to me, but none of them is perfect. None of them can give me everything I want. So I get some from that, I get some from that. And so I look at the Bible as as a friend, if you will. A friend who gives me a lot of what I need, um, but also gives me gives me other things that teach me about um, how not to live and so on. So the Bible, in a sense, provides those things for me that I need, but there's also things in there that that I may not agree with. Just like I've got a very good friend I've had for over 50 years, and we go out a lot. We've been through each other's ups and downs and insides and outs. And I love him like a brother. But politically, we are worlds apart. Worlds apart. And we'll go out to dinner, and, and he'll say, not to get political, and I'll say, oh, my God, here we go. <laughs> you know. And then we, we spend two hours arguing about something. But he's still a friend. He still has, 
so much to give me and for hopefully me to give him. And so the Bible can do the same thing. You know, we can say, well, this is horrible, fine, true, but look at all, all the good stuff that he can give you. And um, I, th- I think we just got to look look at it that way, that that uh, not everything in there will is going to seem perfect to us. And it's not to say that what is in there, all of it is about God condoning. Correct. And I think that to me becomes one of the issues, especially with contemporary interpretation. If the Bible says it, we can't talk any, we can't say there's anything bad in the Bible. Like we can't say anything bad about George Washington or whoever our heroes are. Uh, but if we're able to say that just because it's there, it's doesn't mean that it's been condoned by the church or should be condoned. And I like what you went back to. It shows how imperfect creation is. It's good. Abraham was good, but he wasn't perfect. How he understood Sarah at times was not good. And we know that from our sensibilities, which means that from that point, we as a species have grown in understanding. And that might be the same. Okay, we can celebrate that fact. But it sits there as a reminder of what happens, as you said, when we fail to fully love. And accept that nothing is perfect. And one thing I like about Anglicanism is we always talk about we're the church that lives in the gray. (laughs) We're this broad church that has all sorts of people in it and all sorts of thoughts and things like that. But we live kind of in this gray zone of theology that we really, except for extremes, have really a sense of being able to um, look at things fully and not have to have them perfect. And I, maybe part of the lesson for today is that we've been moving into this sense of rigidity. And I've seen ourselves over the last few years. It's very clear there's, no, there's nothing but black and white. Either you are left or you're right. <laughs> uh, either you support the person or not. And even the way our media works, either the person's all good or all bad. Uh, and... and best recent example right now is dealing with the interview with Oprah and the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Mm-hmm. And they've shed some darkness on the royal family. And it's like, they're human beings. Can we accept that mm-hmm. they are as imperfect as we are and still be who they are and right. still be as good? And that, um, I think by the Bible giving us those stories that that pull us into the gray helps us begin to say, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. Mm -hmm. But says, look for the good and the righteousness in everybody. It doesn't mean you have to condone the bad parts. Because God lifts up the good stuff. There's 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 a Jewish mystical approach to some of this, as you were saying. And then, you know, I'll go back to this, to the, to the creation story. He says, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was the Hebrew term, the Hebrew words is tohu vavohu, which we're not really 100% sure what it means, but tumble, turvy, null and void, just, just chaotic, like like the kitchen drawer that you throw everything into, you know? 
And then God began to put things into order. You know, put the sun over there, put the moon over there, and so on. But according to this Kabbalistic perspective, some of the chaos remained. And so God feared that this chaos would invade us and would follow us. So he said, you know what? Let me give these people laws and guidelines and rules that will prevent chaos from impacting them. And when they didn't, that's where chaos came in. So it's, it's kind of a uh, look into it. The, the other thing that I wanted to say was um, we need to look at the Bible through what I, what I call B.C. eyes. Right? We can't we can't look at what happened with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his sons, the the um, the brothers of Dinah and Shechem's story, and all of that. Um, the wars, um, just the bad things that I, we just can't look at it through 2021 eyes. We need to look at it through their eyes, and as some historians pointed out, yes, the Bible relates horrible things but they're not as horrible as they could have been. So you, you can look, for example, at the role of women back in the biblical times. I mean, you know, definitely they weren't on equal gear, equal footing with men and so on. But the way the women were treated in biblical times among the people who followed the Bible, even though it wasn't good, was a heck of a lot better than women were treated otherwise. So we need to take that that perspective as well, that the that the Bible sort of tempered tempered some of the cultural things that were going on there, and so yeah, it was bad, but not as bad as it could have been. And you raise up this conversation that we've had about the sacrifice of Isaac, mm -hmm. in that um, again, modern people struggle with why would God ask someone to sacrifice their son? And I love the fact that you turn around and say, as we look at it, it may be because God did not have Abraham actually sacrifice Isaac, it was a turning point in a time for the children of Israel that human sacrifice, child sacrifices, was not acceptable to God. Mm -hmm. right. In comparison to what was going on around them. And I think that's one of the issues that we have in interpreting Scripture today is, you're absolutely right, part of preaching is getting that Scripture into context. Because without it, it's very easy to misinterpret. And I struggle with all my homilies is, okay, why is Jesus saying this? Who are these people? Uh, what is his point? And without context or historical criticism, as we call it, the story cannot make sense today. And the message that, was, that it was meant for to the ears of that time cannot be heard today without it. And I think that becomes so important to us. Uh, and again, that when you look at the history of what was going on in the time around them in mm -hmm. terms of persecution, why was... Why was there so much animosity in Christian Gospels around the Jewish establishment? Well, there was a reason for that in that time. They are trying to pacify a crowd who 
in the midst of Roman persecution, both of Jews and of Christians. Out of self-preservation, the synagogues began pushing the Christians out and they had to form a new religion and they're feeling lost. And so this became a way of, well, see, Jesus put up, had to deal with being pushed out. Mm -hmm. It's not about we should hate our neighbor or they're bad, but it was a way of conveying that, no, we are our own faith now, our own church. What's the context, sure. In the context. And they don't see what we see. It does set up that we, they, I accept that, and that's problematic, but there's a lot of we, they going on through the Bible as well. Um, But it wasn't necessarily about where I think Christian history has taken it in terms of anti-Semitism. It was simply about we are now standing on our own. Right. And this is what Jesus prophesied to us back then. Yeah. I mean, the the, the Bible... um, again, tries to show us through example how we can be our own worst enemies. You know, we know the story of of Abraham Abraham and his his, uh, nephew Lot. You know, they're they're in this beautiful area and shepherds of each start fighting with each other. So Abraham um, tries to mitigate the situation. He says to Lot, look, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If I if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Fine, you know we're just trying to work work things out. So Lot says, "I'll I'll go to that side." Well, he he ends up in the city. He ends up in the city of of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And then eventually the city gets destroyed, fire and brimstone. And you read that and you say, you know, why did Lot stay? Right, he was living in the city of sin, like Lynn. He was sitting <laughs> in the city of sin. He saw all these bad things going on. I mean, he learned from Abraham what's right and what's wrong. Abraham was his idol at some point. Why? Why didn't he move? You know, and some commentary says that sometimes we become comfortable in our sinful ways. And we fail to realize the consequences of that. And so the Bible, in a sense, is telling us, don't be comfortable. Don't be comfortable in sinful ways. Um, don't be comfortable in, in not taking care of the stranger or taking care of each other or not showing love um, or not following the commandments. You know, hey, I stole and nothing happened to me. You know, God says, just, just wait. Just wait. It's going to, you know, it's going to happen. So pay attention. It's interesting. The Christian world right now is hearing stories in preparation for Easter and throughout Lent. And the emphasis this year has been on Scripture passage that says, in order to follow me, you must first be willing to pick up your cross. To follow me, you must be willing to lose your life in order to gain it. And I think that's exactly what Jesus was saying to the people and what that is all about is exactly that. We don't even realize that we're living in the midst of a sinful life. And from, and from the Christian perspective, Jesus shines light on that and shows us what is wrong. And to follow a way of love, as our presiding bishop says, more often than not, we have to give up a lot of what we think is good 
in what really affords us comfort and things like that in identity to take on the identity of following Jesus. Exactly, Jesus follows us as we talk about the law. Jesus proclaims himself the fulfillment of the law. So Jesus, through his life, shows us the way to perfection, not our culture. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes those messages are really clear. Where is it in your culture that things are not godly or right? We hear the call of the prophet about love, justice, <coughs> and mercy. Micah. I exactly. Yeah. And um, we pick and choose what that looks like. But oftentimes, as I look at recent times, it's when things bubble up, these uh, issues around the deaths of African-American people by the police and those people who the police had propagated as one friend of mine who was a police officer said nobody goes to work as a police officer to say I'm going to kill somebody today. <clears throat> but there's a subconscious conditioning that leads to those realities that we are afraid to deal with. Which because turns it's our out has been going on for a while without us really, you know, raising reason. I mean, to echo what you said, I mean, you know, the Ten Commandments are not multiple choice. <laughs> You know, so right? You gotta do. You gotta do them all, um, and it just. I, I mean, I think that, you know, as as I mentioned before, the Hebrew word for the Bible is Torah, which means teaching, and it's there, it's there to teach. Um, it's not necessarily historical book, you know. I mean, there are plenty of other sources we can use for history, but what what can this story, whether it reflects goodness? or evil, whether it represents perfection or just horrible. What is this story teaching me about how I should lead my life? You know, is it teaching me what to do, teach me what not to do, see what happens, and so on and so forth. The importance of following certain laws. I think it's a great teaching tool. And I think the stories... <clears throat> also become, I was thinking about this as you're talking, like a video. Mm -hmm. We live in our own perspective. And I know for myself, one of the hardest parts of this pandemic is being videotaped every week <laughs> for services. And I'm like uh, yeah. watching it and I've got my eyes covered half the time and my ears are like, did I really say that? But it reflects back to me a lot of things that I don't want to see. And as we read through the stories of the Old Testament and even look at parts of the gospel, I think they're almost like that videotape, as if you had gone into a situation, had been videotaped, and then you watched it back. And you saw what you did good, but you also learned what you don't want to do again. Mm -hmm. That is the opportunity that the fullness of those, our stories give us. And it also makes us aware, if we read them, are troubled by them, of how subtly we are predispositioned towards certain ways of sinfulness, mm -hmm. whether it be prejudice, bigotry, um, misogyny, etc. They tell us that is deeply part of the human condition. 
And it is so acceptable, it goes back through time, that it made it into these books. But it doesn't have to be our future. I think I may have mentioned this before. If I did, I apologize. But there's a great story that I love about a little Native American boy walking with his daddy. And he says, Daddy, what makes us good? What makes us bad? And he says, we have two bears in our heart. One bear wants us to do good. One bear wants us to do bad. The boy says, which one wins? And the father says, the one you feed most. Yeah. I've heard that from Native American yeah, tradition yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what side of us do we want to feed? You know? And I think if we, again, if we make a concentrated effort to just live our lives the best way way that we can using the Bible as a guidepost. I mean, I I don't think God would, can expect any more of us, live honestly. I also think if we read these stories, and this is my case for reading the whole Bible or a whole book and not just passages, Mm -hmm. because through our lectionary, we kind of cut out the things we don't want to deal with. But by reading the whole, those parts that become offensive are those things that are within us that we may not like about ourselves. And if we see it and we don't like it, it gives us opportunity to change that within ourselves. Mm -hmm. If we look back on the history of our heroes and we see things that are offensive, it's not let's avoid it, ignore it. It's as you've said, what the Bible's about, let's learn from it and transform it so that our future doesn't have to hold that peace. Martin Luther King said the arc of justice is long. And I think the, that same arc is the arc back to the heavenly kingdom that we talk about so much and that Messiah and the second coming. It's long and it's an arduous process. And humans are slow to learn. But we're not going to learn if we simply want to focus on the good of our forebears. Mm-hmm. But look at the whole of that history around it. I think, Agreed. And so ultimately the gift that the Bible gives us is exactly what we should be doing today. I agree with that 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've worked that subject through, so yeah, yeah. let us end with in prayer. Would you like to give a prayer for the health of this country and the hope of our future? Absolutely. Uh, we beseech you, O Lord, um, to bring health and well-being uh, to all people who are struggling today, especially those who are ill and struggling with um, the effects of covid We hope that you give those patients strength and a willingness to continue and to live on and that you provide their caregivers and doctors with the wisdom and knowledge and skills to provide the best care for them. And may come the day when we no longer have to offer a prayer for victims of COVID. Amen. Amen. And before we close out, just a word to those who are listening, and we know you're out there. Um, if there's a topic you'd like us to 
work through and talk about, please feel free to email me, Father Craig Swan, at Craig, which is C-R-A-I-G, at St. Peter's, which is S-T-P-E-T-E-R-S-B-Y-T-H-E-S-E-A dot com. Craig at St. Peter's by the Sea. Give us some feedback. Let us know what you hear and what you like and also what you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. Have a good day. You have been listening to a conversation with a priest and a rabbi recorded live at St. Peter's by the Sea Episcopal Church in Narragansett, Rhode Island. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to hear from you soon.